Welcome everyone, this is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, here with the next installment of our Season 5 Housing News Podcast. And today we have a treat. We'll be talking with Housing Wire's lead analyst, Logan Motoshami, about the economic data we should be paying attention to and the reasons we won't have a housing crash in 2021. Logan worked in mortgage lending for 24 years before devoting his full-time and energy to economic analysis, and his insights are especially helpful to housing. He's frequently quoted by leading publications such as Bloomberg, Bankrate, Time, many others, but we're happy to have him writing for us every week and on podcasts as often as we can get him. So let's jump in. Hi, Housing News listeners. This is Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. You just heard from our host, Sarah Wheeler. But before we dive into today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor. For over 60 years, the private mortgage insurance industry has helped more than 33 million low to moderate income borrowers access affordable, low down payment home financing. This year, the private MI industry will continue to bridge the down payment gap for millions of more Americans and serve as the best option for low down payment borrowers. Learn more at www.usmi.org. Thank you for listening, and here's episode two of season five of the Housing News Podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire. For this one, super excited to have on our lead analyst, Logan Modashami. So Logan has a really interesting background. He was in mortgage lending for 24 years, but during that time also started really digging into analysis of the market. And and so uh, he's now retired from mortgage lending and does the analysis full-time for us. And as all you'll hear him on Bloomberg, Bankrate, Time, everywhere, but um, we're really excited that, that he is exclusively with Housing Wire and we're happy to have you on today, Logan. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, wonderful. So we just published your latest piece, which is three reasons why there won't be a housing crash in 2021. You would think, do we have to spell that out? But in fact, we do. We know that we always get that searched on our site. That's a big search term. And there are a number of people who are either worried about that or trying to stir that up or whatever. So that is a great response to that. And we'll jump into that. But first, first, I want to bring us back to something that happened in the middle of the pandemic. You made a really bold call. On April 7th, you laid out an economic model that you said, here's what's going to happen. It's called the America is back. It was a bold move because really none of us knew what was going to happen, how long it was going to last, what the devastation was going to be. Uh, but you were you were brave. You put out the America is back model. So I'd love for you to just walk us through that uh, pretty quickly here. Well, it actually, this all starts back decades ago. You know, if, if economics is demographics, you know, and if my work has always talked about years 2020 to 2024 being, uh, you know, uh, exceptionally well for housing, um, we just came off the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. February economic data was still very good. So I think a lot of bearish American people, mostly are what I call podcast stock traders, um, were thinking we're going into a recession before this happened. And I think there was the first mistake. And the America's back actually started on really on February 3rd with the chaos theory and the butterfly effect that I wrote for Housing Wire saying that, hey, listen, if the news gets worse, guess what? Economy is going down, stock market's going down, but bond yields are going down. And it first starts with that. So basically, rates going down is beneficial for housing. It's not, it's not a negative. So when the virus hit us, right? And then we I thought of, okay, let's let's think about this. How is this going to work out? You're going to have to create a model based on dates 
And the three dates that I, I talked about a lot on Housing Wire last year was May 18th, and that's when we kind of flattened the curve. Uh, um, and then July 15th for housing data, because we're going to read the June's report. We talked about, you know, June's report is really going to clear everything up for us right there. Because if May 18th, if the virus is getting worse and people are still frozen, none of that matters. You, you can't function if people think like we're in a depression. And then by September 1st, everything is kind of cleared up by then. And then hopefully we'll be ready and better prepared for the uh, virus. What happened was everyone froze, right? Everyone froze March and April. Um, it, it the, wasn't so much of the, even the, the, the lockdown protocols that, that impacted certain parts of the economy. We froze as a country. And then when we freeze and then everybody just stops spending, everybody doesn't know what to do, the data gets abnormally bad really fast. And you had waterfall dives uh, in economic data that is typically very sticky. So it was the most, it was the biggest shock that we all will see in probably our, hopefully in our lifetimes, nothing else will create something bigger. But if you followed an economic model, you followed what the data was talking about, the St. Louis financial stress to get, uh, stress index was, uh, was starting to go lower, continuing claims started to go lower, purchase application data really after four or five weeks stopped going down and then it started going up. While everybody was trying to hawk their, you know, well, we're going to crash, we're going to go into depression, buy my book, please, here we go. The economy was recovered. And then economists froze, right? Everybody was like, what's going on here? Why, why, why is the data getting better? Then you had multiple V-shaped recoveries, not just in housing, retail sales, manufacturing data, non-manufacturing, everything was, and then people were still frozen. Right. Our economists froze and then they started to go all else. where this is a W could happen. That didn't happen. Let's talk about the K shape. Everybody wants to talk about their ideological takes on what's going on here. The economy is working itself back. So you put certain data lines to follow. You have dates. And then if it all worked out, the 10 year yield, which is the most important part, actually, is going to get back up to one percent. We got to zero point ninety nine basis points. And then we're here. We're at this point to now we're looking for 2021, which is a different path. And you have to be either really crazy or you have to believe in economic models to write that on April 7th. And I urge people, you go back, you could read it, you could connect the dots, right? Be the detective, not the troll. Connect the dots, see what's going on here. And it's a pathway to walk to where we are today. That's why it was important. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um I do think that it it was just a, a bold move, but for you, I mean, you've said it's it wasn't a bold move because you were just following the data. For you, it it felt like, well, yeah, I can write this, but I think that that it was still a pretty uh. Well, pretty- it is because this is our first pandemic, right? This is our first for most of us, you know, uh, it's our first global pandemic, and we don't see, you know, data fall like this. And everybody, a lot of people are stuck in their two thousand eight mode, right? You know, so this is why I pick on the bubble boys so much. They are a professional grifting group. So to get clicks, to get sell a book or whatever it is, housing's going to crash, housing's going to crash. They've been wrong for seven years. And then they'll go, oh, here it is. And, you know, with the article, here we go. This has to be it. Here it comes. And I remember all the tweets I was getting and all the messages I was getting. Your beloved America is going to crash. And I was, I was like, just give me a few weeks, guys. You're going to be wrong. And guess what happened? They don't know what to do, right? When you're a professional grifter, and your job is to just do haka YouTube. I mean, these YouTube things are so terrible. I mean, I see my problem is that I don't believe these people are this bad. Like nobody can be this bad. These people get up, they, they take showers, they eat food. They're, they have critical basic function thinking. 
but they just troll out for clicks. And once people realize this, that these are not economic people, right? Even some of these real estate investors that are, hey, buy my book. I, no, they're not. You can see this by how they talk about data. And now we're here. So what are they going to do? They can't say, hey, by the way, we're lying. We just want you to click our YouTube sites. They're going to say, hey, this is going to happen. And they're show people models on how ridiculous it is. And that was part of the, the article today that the, all these things have to happen. And that's actually what I wrote uh, for my own blog on April 10th. Like for, the, for the, it, this massive home price crash has to happen. All these things have to happen very quickly. And they weren't happening, right? Right away. And if you just looked at the data and believe that, you know, we're going to get through this. Now we're here in 2021. And of course, they're not changing. They can't. No, they're not. And, but, you know, you look back at 2020 record origination volume. I mean, amazing year for people in our business or in, in the origination business, in the real estate business. But prices did go up. And so you have had this whole other call for like, oh, here's a bubble because prices are increasing. So walk us through the, you know, you, you wrote an article today, three reasons why there won't be a housing crash. So why should we not be alarmed by those rising home prices? Okay. So the bubble boys are what I call mostly anti-central bank people were gold bugs. Like in our economic family, these are the conspiracy theory people. So basically a housing bubble person is a person that looks at home prices that actually uh, started to increase above trend, you know, since 1996, right? Mortgage rates went lower, per capita incomes were still good, home prices could rise. And then the bubble portion of, of, of that cycle was 2002 to 2005. If you actually look at the year over year data, that's where the speculation happened, right? Bad credit, uh, a real home prices were up double digits, everything you don't want to see in a housing market was happening right there. But in 2005, when you peaked, we're running into a weaker demographic patch. I think that's the important thing. You know, I've always talked about housing was going to have its weakest recovery ever. All these forecasts of housing starts getting here or new home sales getting here or mortgage demand. No, it's impossible. Housing economics is driven by labor force demographics. There are certain people that buy homes at certain ages. You did not have it. And credit was shot, right, for the continuation. So there's certain there's a supply and demand equilibrium there. But the bubble boys think, well, 2012, we never got back. Nominal home prices never got back to 1996 levels. Adjusting to inflation, you might make the case we're closer there. So every year, the grift continues, right? Well, if 2006 was a housing bubble, this is the greatest housing bubble of all times. A bubble means you go back to the original price point, right? So even if we take an interim low in 2012, this is a 68% decline in a calendar year. You know, look at all the historic bubbles. They just collapse right there. So anybody who uses that term has to be saying, well, I believe prices go back to 1996 levels. And these are mostly anti-central bank gold bug fanatics that just run around the world with fake accounts saying the world's going to end, the dollar's worthless. No, it's just not the case. And, and they got trapped, right? And they can't let it go. So you need to show, it's not the final answer that always matters. It's the why, right? It's why is this happening? Once you convince the public what the why is, then they'll look at these people like, wow, you really are crazy. And that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of economics. You have, you have multiple data lines. You can show people, you know, how do you get here? And I think that article today that, that, that we distributed out was to show what needs to happen, 
you know, uh, mortgage demand from primary resident home buyers, which is a driver of housing, has to just collapse two and a half times worse than what we saw in the housing bubble uh, uh, collapse in one calendar year. It's just, it's just not the case. Because why? We have a lot of young people that need to find somewhere to live. And that's why those census, those boring census, you know, charts that show demographic patches, it shows that, you know, ages 27 to 33, I use this every year going back for, for many years that here we come, we're going into a, a stronger demographic patch, not a weaker demographic patch from 2008 to 2014, which explains why mortgage demand was so light back then. These are replacement buyers, right? So then on top of that, mortgage rates are near an all-time low. So I would argue that the housing bubble boys or the American housing bears are one of, if not the worst economic people in our history. Because who gets it this wrong? The data is always there, right? We all know it. You have the biggest demographic patch ever and you have the lowest mortgage rates forever. And you're talking about a bubble crash. I mean, it is a historical failure on an epic proportion because why? If you got to grift out, you got to talk about a bubble crash. That's where you get the clicks. That's where you trick people. Well, well, let me ask you about another part of that. So rising home prices is one of the things that freaks people out about, you know, a housing bubble. But what about credit? Credit is tightening or that's that's well, the here's the thing. What do you this, have is, to say about that? this is a really interesting because for many years, going back like six, seven years, um, my theme has always been there is no tight credit in America, right? The people that are telling you lending is tight, right, are not actually people that work in the financial, a lot of them are think tanks, college professors, uh, financial media. Lending since 2008 is actually very liberal. All it is, is that we lend to the capacity to own the date. Now that's considered tight. But I mean, if you look at FHA guidelines, you know, even, even the Freddie and Fannie guidelines, they're not very hard, right? It's just that low FICO score Americans do not buy homes typically, right? Because they're the struggling cash flows, right? They have problems with their credit cards. They have problems with other issues, so their FICO score is lower. Typically, these people don't take on big, uh, the biggest debt and the biggest debt payment ever. So one of the calls I made many years ago uh, challenging some of the people that credit was tight is that you're never going to see this group come back, right? If, if total volumes rise, you might get a little bit of increase, but struggling cash flow Americans don't buy homes because their current debt they have is too much. Uh, so typically, now you see it, and we put that chart in the article today, Look at how great the FICO scores look now, right? Because when you have when you have good cash flows, your FICO scores are better. You're not uh, carrying around a lot of uh, credit card debt. You make your payments on time. These are the home buyers, so it looks perfectly normal. But when the crisis hits, and this is this is the this is a big thing on economics, credit gets tighter in a recession. Why? Because banks don't want to lose money. Um, the initial thought was that credit was going to tighten massively, the mortgage market meltdown back in uh, uh, March 9th. And what happened is literally when you have an, a, a recession or a crisis like this, credit should, should tighten. But what we saw was credit was getting tight on products that wasn't widely used for home buying. And uh, one of the big, one of the most important factors for housing was that Freddie and Fannie were actually not traded companies without any uh, uh, government uh, support. So it was in conservatorship and credit never really got tight in the broader scale. That is a huge, huge aspect of what happened last year. So we got really fortunate as a country that Freddie and Fannie were still in conservatorship during this because we might have wasted uh, lots of time trying to get them back in. So credit was flowing. Uh, you could see it in the data, really. If you look at purchase application data last year, 
four or five weeks, it stopped going down and just shot right back up. Right. And, and, and I think that's important. But even today, you know, even I see some Federal Reserve people say, well, credit is tightening. If you look at the Mortgage Banking Association chart, uh, what, what you see is that uh, it looks like credit is tightening. But in relationship to the broad scale of loans that are being done, not that much. So when it eases, right, watch for the housing bubble boys to start saying, hey, look, look, they have to ease credit standards. That's why the bubble is being, no, it's it's not, it wasn't a big deal when credit was getting tighter. It's not going to be that much of a big deal when it eases. It's just generally the, the products that Americans use to buy mortgages are very vanilla and they were, they were available for the most part, some low FICO score, FHA, bank statement loans, jumbo loans, some home equity loans, these things in general for the national housing market are not widely used. That's a great point. Okay, well, now I'm going to touch on something that you are sort of uh, solitary in your understanding of this, and it's going to be student loan debt. And I bring it up because um, part of Biden's stimulus package, he apparently has a, a pretty hefty student loan forgiveness program in there up to 10000 which is, I know I've heard you in the past that 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 most Americans only have about like if you took out ten thousand dollars worth, that would free up a lot of Americans from their student loan debt. Um, so I, I'd just like to get your opinion on that and and whether you think that's going to make a difference. It'll make a difference for those people if that happens. Yeah. But what about for housing? Here's here's the problem. This is why I never liked the student loan debt crisis for many years. Um, a lot of people kept on saying, well, housing's being held out because of the student loan debt crisis. Uh, when you adjust everything to demographics, housing looked perfectly normal. What the student loan debt crisis was, was an ideological take because the government owns most of the debt. You could literally wipe it all out. It'll just go to the deficit. I understand that aspect. But if you keep on saying for many years that there's a student loan debt crisis, that Americans who finish college, because when, when you look at the data, Americans who finish college are typically the most employed, make the most money, uh, have access to healthcare, the stock options. This is the upper economic food chain, not only in America, but in the history of economics, right? If you looked at the data, it was, these people are fine. Now, when you look at student loan debt, you go, wait a second, majority of student loan debt is actually under 17,000. The people that are the most delinquent are actually those who dropped out of college. So they, have the debt, but they don't have the income capacity of the debt. These aren't the home buyers you're looking for, right? Uh, um, you, you can get rid of student loan debt, but it's just not going to be the event that people uh, had hoped. And guess what? Look what happened in 2020. If we literally had a student loan debt crisis that prevented millennials from buying homes, you would have never had 2018, 2019, and you definitely would not have had 2020, right? 2020 would have never existed if this was the case. So Break the data down. I think I wrote I wrote that article for Housing Wire at, at the end of uh, 2019. Look at student loan debt. Break it down. You could see why housing demand for millennials are millennials are the biggest home buyers in America, which makes them the biggest home buyers in the world. So how is this possible? We thought we had an affordability crisis, a student loan debt crisis, multiple job crisis, all these crisis events during the longest economic expansion ever recorded in history, during the longest job expansion ever recorded in history. And once our demographics got better, household formation runs into the proper age of people that buy homes, which is much later in life. They buy homes later in life than uh, um, what, the, what the baby boomers did. It looks perfectly normal. So I, I, I have a problem with the word crisis because the crisis to me is a deflationary event. Mortgage purchase applications should be down. Home prices should be down. We see right now, rents in certain areas, rents are going down. Why? That's a crisis. 
you know, because it was, it, you cannot support the, 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 the levels of pricing or rents because it's a deflationary event. That's what a crisis looks like. It doesn't look like how the mortgage purchase application looked like since 2014. So that's my take on that. Let's talk about another crisis that you uh, like to debunk, which is the housing inventory shortage crisis. Yeah. This one's a, <laughs> this one's a little bit of my favorite. The marketing of housing has based on one principle, there's no homes to buy, right? Whenever there is a missed monthly sales report, they always go, well, there's no homes to buy. That's the reason, right? Monthly data flows a certain way. Some months, demand falls down a little bit. Some months, it rises. So what's happened in the previous expansion, which I've always said, weakest housing recovery ever. If you go back and read what was written, they go, well, there was no homes to buy. That's why home sales didn't grow. And then the following month, home sales surpassed the other. I, there was homes to buy. If you did a video collage of this, it's actually quite funny. So now, because they say the same things over and over again, I go, wait, wait, we're gonna we're gonna have a miss on this monthly home supplies. They're gonna say there's no homes to buy, and there's a miss, and they go, oh, there's just no homes to buy. Next month, sales go up higher. Well, there's they never say, wow, there was homes to buy. They never say that, right? It's it's just a, to me, it's a marketing gimmick, and when existing home sales got to 3.91 and inventory levels, like total inventory levels were at the lowest people. There's no way home sales could come back. There's just no homes to buy. We had the biggest three months shot up in home sales ever. There was homes to buy. This is why I always tweet to uh, Clayton. I say, hey, look, it's another report that says inventory down and sales up year over year. It's amazing. There's homes to buy. So the, my concern about um, housing now, it's, it's the same thing that I've talked about for many years. Years 2020 to 2024, the problem is that real home prices could take up. When I talk about real home prices, adjusting to inflation, the equivalence of rent. You know, if you looked at housing data, it was very stable. We did, whenever things got out of hand, mortgage rates went up and it cooled itself down. 2019 is a great example. 2019, adjusting to inflation, home prices were negative, right? And I was like, great, this is exactly what we want cheer for this, right? Everyone's like, no, home prices are falling. It's going to crash. No, it's not. It's just, this is, this is a benefit to us. And look what happened in 2020, right? Right right in the year that I've talked about, guess what? Real home prices took off. And it's problematic now because inventory levels are low. Now you see what real good demand does to the, to the real home price data. It shoots it up. And this is the thing I fear the most about this. And now what COVID has done is it's kept mortgage rates artificially low for longer because it is a deflationary event. There are certain sectors of our economy that can't function properly. So you don't get that 10-year yield and mortgage rates to kind of rise like it would in a traditional expansion. So that's my concern. And guess what happened? Right in 2020, the concern was that home prices overheated and it has overheated. And what you want is you want this to go down. You want mortgage rates to uh, recover because when it recovers, that means the economy is doing better and it cools it down. We want balance. We want boring. Boring is the new sexy. We just want a stable housing market. You don't want dislocation from a trend. And we got that this year. Well, let's talk about mortgage rates. So um, historically low now, and even people who think it's, you know, I mean, now with Biden and some other things, we think it's it's going to go up. Tell us a little bit about what you think about mortgage rates and if you think that's going to be the remedy we need. So Every year uh, at, at the start of 2015, I, I talk about mortgage rates based on the bond market. And, I, and I've really said the same thing. All my forecasts have been the exact same. The 10 year is going to be in a range between 1.6 and 3%. You know, So just keep it simple. Three, three and a half, 
4.8% to 4.75. That's where mortgage rates should be following the 40-year downtrend of the bond market. But once it was evident that this crisis was going to be this event, right? It wasn't because the economic data was going to be bad. We were just going to have this, this ultimate shock. I thought the 10-year yield could actually go negative. Uh, and then 62 basis points, which means mortgage rates really should have got to two and a quarter. But the whole mortgage market was dysfunctional, right? So you, mortgage rates never actually got priced. And then we fiscally uh, stimulated the economy with monetary policies, and that kept yields from going lower. There was your cue right there that the economy was going to get better. The 10-year yield was mostly above 62 basis points. But you believe in the AD economic model, the 10-year yield should go up. However, Mortgage rates were going down. And one of the things I've talked about last year, especially on Twitter, wait until September 30th. After September 30th, mortgage rates pricing should get better in relationship to the 10-year yield. So it looks kind of crazy. People go, why are why did mortgage rates keep on going down with a 10-year yield? Because we never had actual pricing here. So for 2021, you know, it's the same thing I wrote in the AB economic model. We want the 10-year yield to get about 1.33 to, to uh, 1660. And that just means that we're, we're getting a, a little bit stable and maybe 3.375 to 3.625. That's the kind of level that, you know, if the economy is really recovering, the 10-year yield and mortgage pricing, and there it is. And I don't know if that's good. It's enough to cool the market. I, the, the limit I have on the 10-year yield is 1.94%. If you price that accurately, it's about 3.75%. Above that, we should see some we should see some noticeable changes in the market. So I'm hoping, because it's the only thing we've got, the only thing that could cool this down is for rates to go higher. And we just have an event that's preventing the 10-year yield from being where it should be. And that's why I'm just hoping this vaccine goes and we just go for it. And then the economy can recover. We're going we're gonna to do more fiscal disaster relief during, the, during 2021 and just get things back to normal. Because the worst part about housing in 2020 was that home prices went up as, as much as it did. And that that is a detriment. These are sticky housing inflation data. They stick there. They're, they're, they're not any good to anybody because why? We finally got back to where per capita income and home prices are basically this close again. This is simply what happened in 2002. We had so much leeway for home prices to rise uh, versus per capita income, and it's just not the case anymore. So I'm very, very cautious about years 2020 to 2024, and you could see what happened this year or last year. Really interesting. You know, you brought up demographics quite a bit. You've talked about millennials, and we know they're the largest home buying generation that we've ever had. Why do you think demographics aren't discussed first when we're talking about economic models? Because your whole model is, is based on that along with other things, but other people's aren't. So why is that? Because it's terribly boring. Right, you can't make demographics an ideological right wing or left wing take. Uh, it's better to say that you know the economy is bad because uh, because people aren't getting paid enough, or you know there's a student loan debt crisis. You can use these ideological. If you basically say, hey, guess what? Prime age labor force is going to peak in 2007. It's going to decline. The economy is going to slow down. Housing is going to slow down, and then in about you know 12 years will have this really good, healthy demographic and data will be better then. That is such a boring long-term conversation that nobody wants to have because we're a TikTok nation. You have five seconds to get people's attention. And it's just not, it's just not fun for anyone. People rather have an ideological view that something's terribly wrong with the economy. And we saw that last year, right? People freaked, economists froze. Nobody believed the data was getting better because they were told that. People have too much debt, student loan debt, cry, all these things. 
Everyone has multiple jobs. There was all these conspiracy theories. And guess what happened? The U.S. economy got back. Why? Because demographics are better now. Prime age labor force. Now, you can't be a fast growing economy. This is one of the things that I think I'm different than a lot of maybe the housing bulls in America. They believe like this construction boom and everything is Mature economies do not act or have like booms unless it's like a new sector. Like we saw the in, in the oil oil rig business, we just saw a massive boom in oil rigs, and it's already collapsed twice, right? In the last uh, uh, five years, so you have limits to what a mature economy can do. But right now, just think of years twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty four as stable, right? Stable replacement demographic demand that keeps things at bay. And I think the one thing that I did last year was try to convince people about. It's very rare for existing home sales to get below 4 million post-1996, right? It only happened like three times, the tail end of the housing bubble crash for, for a few months, the home buyer tax credit, which was a terrible idea, but it drew, it drew down home sales right after that. And then one month of COVID-19 sales. That's it. That is it. So some of these really big housing epic crashes would need like Existing home sales from where we are right now, like we're going to end maybe 5.57 to 5.7 million existing home sales. You need home sales to drop to 2.6, 2.8 million in a calendar year. We just have people, right? We have a lot of people. Just look at it as that, you know, mortgage rates are low. When mortgage rate, when the 10-year yield gets above 1.94% or when mortgage rates really rise, let's look at a rate of growth cool down. That's fine. But Boy, you are really, really, you're asking the housing market to crash when it has the best demographics and the lowest mortgage rates. Who is crazy enough to say that? The bubble boys, right? Maybe the extreme right-wing or left-wing thinking of, of, of economic ideological people on, on Twitter, finance, really. Uh, and it didn't work, right? Millennials do buy homes. And I think I used that State Farms commercial uh, on Twitter yesterday, you see, you know, young single guys at a party. Hey, I'm never going to get married. Next thing, he gets a wedding ring and tells his wife, "Hey, we're never going to have kids." The next one, he get he has a kid. Oh, uh, we're never going to leave the city. Oh, they go into suburbs, you know. So, and this is goes back to a lot of things I've talked about at every conference that I've tried to tend to is that we rent, we date, we mate, we get married. Three and a half years after marriage, we have kids. Housing is the year's 2020 to 2024 story. It's a demographic story. Mortgage rates were above 5%. Let me tell you something. I, I, I'll have a much different take. But bond yields have been going lower. Lower growth economies do not have higher yields. And in uh, even the piece I wrote last year for Housing Wire, if the economic data actually gets better, it's not beneficial to housing because yields go up. You see, you saw that happen in 2018. We had a supply shock in the new home sales market. Everybody says, we have to build millions of homes because we have record-breaking demand. And what happened? Supply shock builders go, whoop, not building. Don't have it, right? I think one of the CEOs of the builder said it was the worst fourth quarter since the Great Recession. She was right. It was. You look at the data, you got a supply shock. Now, mortgage rates came back down and things settled itself out. And we were in 2018. We're not in 2020 yet. So things are better. But, you know, it's just to me, it's just demographics. It's too boring. For people to talk about you, you can't make it an enemy it's just simply labor force growth
Well, Logan, it's not boring when you talk about it, and we're so happy to have you uh, on today, but also just that uh, you write for us weekly and really break these things down, because it's going to be another crazy year. I mean, I think it's going to be another huge origination year, although we, we do see that refis will probably uh, start to cool off in, in about mid-year, but but we're happy to have you on board and and get your wisdom, and, and we'll keep checking back with you. So thank you so much. Yep. It's great to be here. And just remember, economics is demographics and productivity. The rest is stamp collecting. <laughs> we'll close with that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Also, make sure to check out Housing Wire's daily podcast, Housing Wire Daily, which is a wrap of Housing Wire's hottest stories and now available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And we'll see you next week.